0: you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hello, Megan. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. I am so excited to have you on and you're going to be sharing with us the biggest areas where women play small when it comes to their money in terms of knowledge, earning, spending, and negotiation. This is so important to talk about. So thank you for being here. Before we dive in, please tell everyone who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. So I am Megan Dwyer. I am first and foremost a mom to two young boys. They are seven and five. I am also a certified financial planner, and I am host of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. And the podcast is almost three years old. I started it during the pandemic when I was going through a tough time, and I was struggling with a lot of things in my life. Like I'm sure many other women are out there were as well. The podcast is really to designed to help women create a healthy relationship with money, so that they can stop fearing the unknown and begin to live a life that they want that that where they feel like they're thriving
0: i love that i love that and so i would love for you to talk so let's just dive into the into the topic and i'd love for you to talk yeah. about
1: um
0: the concept of playing small with money why do you feel this is so important to address with women specifically
1: yeah so first of all this is something that's really important to me because I've been there and I've done that and I've realized that these the behaviors that I've had when it comes to to money and myself right aren't helping me get to where I want to be. So there's a few ways that women tend to play small with money and I'm going to go through them right now. First of all it's not having the knowledge right and I put this one kind of top of the list because I think it's the most important. I am not saying by any means that we all have to be a financial planner or have this master's in finance, but we do need to have a basic understanding of our own personal financial situations, which includes, you know, your net worth, right? So your assets and your liabilities. And it also includes an understanding of cash flow, income and expenses, right? And these two worksheets alone is what I tell people is incredibly empowering but so often right we tend to avoid or default to letting somebody else handle this stuff for us because maybe we don't want to um lean in we don't want to f- to uh, to deal with the uncomfortable maybe there's some guilt maybe there's some shame that comes with it right and we all know though that the more that we avoid the harder it gets and the more intimidated we become so we just need to Lean into that discomfort more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even if
0: sometimes we, if we have nobody else to deal with it, we kind of let it slide and.
1: <laughs> yeah. Of course. We just, we just don't deal with it. Right. And, yeah. and that can sometimes dig us into like deeper holes. It's not getting us anywhere. Right. So that's one way I think that it's so important that, that, or one way that women stay small. Right. Another piece is on the earning side. Right. So we're conditioned through our culture to, as women, to not be as aggressive as men. And we, I think, honestly, undervalue our own work oftentimes, especially yes. women entrepreneurs. So, you know, we often struggle with what we're charging people and finding the right pricing for things, right? Because we tend to think that we're not good enough or that somebody else can do it better than we can. And they, and therefore they deserve the money more than we do, right? This is, imposter syndrome, like 101, right? Because we tend to charge people what we think we're worth rather than what the value really may be for whatever we're offering, right? And there's misalignment there. And that misalignment is really rooted in mindset. And this honestly also isn't specific to women entrepreneurs. I have worked a W-2 job working for a company my entire career. And I have always struggled with what I felt that I've been worth so much so that instead of having like a direct conversation with somebody, I'll just avoid it and I'll feel underappreciated and therefore resentful. Like I'm sure so many other people do. Right? I think this is a really common one for women, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's you know, I've, I've definitely been there playing small with finances, especially when I was younger. And the things that I I wrote down a couple of things that you mentioned that for me were very important, like knowledge, having that basic understanding of your finances. I think that's so foundational to changing our behavior, especially as women around money. And like you said, it is cultural, right? There's expectations of where women should be as much as you know there's a lot of feminism and women's empowerment there is still the idea out there that it is a man's world and in many cases it is <laughs> there's still the oh my idea gosh that, yeah that women women have their place there's still the idea that you know in fact the fact that we still earn less <laughs> mm-hmm. right yeah gender pay so, gap is is so yeah, real still yeah. unfortunately yeah. so that knowledge is so important and then you talked about undervaluing our worth Right. And I think that's one of the biggest ways ways that women play small, mm-hmm. because I remember when I was younger, I didn't want to intimidate or come across as being disrespectful, and even you know in in my culture, right, uh, there there is this idea that a woman should not do better than her husband because then you're embarrassing him. You're putting him to shame. Right. I mean, not everybody believes, but it's kind of like a theme where, yeah. where, you know, and even, even here as well in the United States, I've, I've had, I had a, a former friend, right. Who told me in college, I could never marry someone like you are too ambitious. Mm. Right. (laughs) So under Mm. undervaluing our worth, we tend to minimize ourselves, even consciously, subconsciously, you know, especially when it comes to finances to make other people seem better, maybe not to appear as, you know, like, I don't know, you don't want to get called the B word. (laughs) And yes. And then mindset, which is another foundational aspect of playing small, like, do we think we deserve this? Do we believe we can achieve this? What's holding us back? Why are we
1: thinking that way? Yeah. There's and there's so much to explore there because I think yeah. a lot of times that goes <laughs> that goes super deep, right? Okay. And so it's funny, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I say just, right? This is what I'm gonna say. Women often use the word just in our emails, in our language, in the way that we correspond with people. And it's a way of minimizing. And, and I think about this too. And this is where the the, the conversation came up. I was, when I was talking about this podcast, the podcast that I started, I was like, oh, well, it's just a, just a little side project. It's just a passion project. It's just a thing. And it's like, we minimize it's not actually, it means something to me. It's important to me. And it's not that when we say that we're just, it's like, we're, we're so playing small. We're just, we're, we're putting all of the things that are important to us aside because we're assuming that we're not good enough to put that out there into the world.
0: Yeah. And we do that with our money as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how can women overcome this, overcome our personal limitations around pursuing our financial goals or our career goals that tie into our finances? And how can we overcome, like, society's expectation of us, of what we should be doing yeah. when, it comes yeah. to, and as opposed to us going to pursue what we really want to do. Because like we've been discussing, right, a lot of times because of what perception, the perception of society, of our environment, our community, our family, our partners, we may play small and not pursue what we really want to pursue, not negotiate the way we should negotiate, not ask for what we deserve because it's just (laughs) this Mm -hmm. thing and we're worried about what other people think. Or in our minds, just because of how we've been raised and what we've been exposed to, we believe that maybe we're not as capable as other (laughs) genders Mm -hmm. to achieve things. So how can we overcome that and just go out and, start playing big. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I think this all starts with the inner work. I if I I always say, if I could do life all over again, I would study psychology and I would be a therapist. I'm so fascinated by human behavior. And this is through the work that I'm doing in the podcast. This is how I kind of marry those two things. And it's also kind of me on my own journey going through this as well. So what I have discovered is that so much of our relationship with money. I mean, our relationship with money is parallel to our relationship with ourselves. So I think we need to start this whole process by doing the inner work, right? We need to, as I like to say, hop off the treadmill and slow down in the crazy chaos of our, of our days, especially as moms, right? And turn inwards and reconnect with our values and our priorities and that underlying why that we have right it's so much easier to move through the cultural pressures that that are out there when we have that kind of personal foundational perspective to keep going back to mm-hmm. then we have to take it to the next level and look at those limiting beliefs so we need to set to recognize what are those beliefs that are coming up i just did an episode just just released today on this fear of feeling and looking stupid. And so these are things, this is something that it is uh, definitely for women. And this is something that like goes back to childhood for me. And so I recognize now that, you know, 30 something years later, it's, it's coming back up in my, my life. And I need to see how I need to recognize how it is holding me back. And I need to start to challenge those beliefs. So is that, is that actually true? No, of course it's not. But it's still running the show here, right? So we can't move through those beliefs, those limiting beliefs until we identify them. So self-awareness is really big here. And I will also say support for other women is crucial as well. Like you can't do this alone, right? So we need to move through that mindset of being competitive with other women around you and instead lift each other up because we need that support. We need their encouragement. And we're more alike than we are different. So if we're all do, all in this together, then that's going to really, really help our personal perspective as we go out into the world to try to navigate all these, you know, societal challenges.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I love that, and that the inner work again, foundational. It's really important for us to get clear on. I think us having a why, why, why does what we want to achieve matter to us, and why do we, and really exploring what in our past or what in our present or what experiences in our lives has have led us to thinking that we can't achieve this or we can't do better than this or we can't be more than this and really addressing those things like I always like to like when I, and I feel challenged like sometimes I find myself playing small right yeah. and what I do is I'll write down all the reasons why I feel I can't and then I'll write down a counter on the other side of the paper, I'll write I love that. This is why I can't, but guess what? This is why I can. And I always have to remind myself that I have power. I am, I am, I have worth. I have value. I can do amazing things. I've done amazing things. Bola, look at what you've done. Why, why are you playing small in this regard? And I also love that you talk about having support from other women because sometimes there have been instances where I have played small and in my mind, because I haven't really fully assessed the situation. I haven't realized that I've been playing small. And it takes a girlfriend or a cousin to say, hey, Bola, you know what? Yeah. Girl, you're playing small. (laughs) Wait a minute, I am
1: playing
0: small. And I I am very intentional about doing that with my own friends too, because I want them to be able to help me when I'm in that space where I'm playing small but may not realize it in that moment. And I think that's important for us as women. I think having that sisterhood, having those bonds, whether it's with friends, mentors, sisters, cousins, whoever, where you can comfortably give the feedback and also receive it to help us grow is is so
1: important. Yeah. And we need to move, get over our fear of of being criticized, that fear of judgment, right? I know I, whenever somebody is giving me kind of constructive feedback, I'm always like, oh no, I'm the worst person ever because I wasn't perfect to begin mm-hmm. with, right? So we need to recognize that we're not perfect, nobody is, and everybody needs something that they, everybody has something that they can be working on, right? Yeah. I mean, feedback
0: is good. Feedback is yeah. good. I mean, sometimes we don't want to hear it, but even when you give the feedback and the person doesn't want to hear it, they've heard it. I mean, it's up to them now mm-hmm. if they want to think about it and reflect on it and yeah. see what they think they don't need to change and think, think what they do need to change. You know, I get feedback all the time, given what I do. <laughs> yeah, And it's feedback from, I don't like your hair. Why do you look so tired? <laughs> Well, that's ridiculous
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. feedback. <laughs> Give me actual feedback that matters. <laughs> talk about this
0: topic? Can, can you explain this better? Like, you know, can you yeah. not talk as fast? Because sometimes when I'm excited, I talk very fast. So it just depends on okay. the type of feedback. And then you use your own uh, discretion to determine what you want to leverage. But I think just being able to be open to feedback can help us be aware of when we're playing small. So we just talked about like that bigger picture of playing small, but I wanted to like, kind of dive in a little bit and just talk about playing small, small specifically when it comes to money and our spending habits, right? Yeah. Or tendencies that women tend to exhibit that may hinder their financial progress. And I and in fact, let me take that back. I would not say that women tend to exhibit, like human beings tend to exhibit. But like what strategies can we put in place to ensure that we're not playing small with the way we're spending or leveraging the resource that we have when we know that we have, and that resource is money, when we know that we have Bigger financial goals to achieve, right? So, I guess an example would be I don't know, let's say I I, I love shoes, right? But one of my goals is to start a business. And in a way, I'm playing small when it comes to starting my business that I know I'm so capable of starting because I'm spending all my spare cash to set up my business to purchase shoes that I don't need. I already have 10 pairs of black shoes. I don't need an 11 pair. (laughs) This is a very random example, right? But how can, what are some strategies that we can leverage to just help us be aware of how we are leveraging our resource of money in terms of playing small so that we can achieve our bigger financial goals.
1: Yeah. And I'm right there with you. I love shoes also. (laughs) There's (laughs) nothing wrong with that. And I love this because I feel like it is so universal, right? We, and me especially, we tend to use spending as a coping strategy, right? This, Mm -hmm. This is a way that we play small, right? And I, I'm not often buying things that I really even want or need. Like, do we ever really need that extra pair of black shoes that you just said? Don't we have nine pairs already, right? I'm buying things that I probably won't even really get a lot of use out of because mm. we get that little high, right? From buying know. something. And we feel better maybe when we're stressed out or we're anxious or we're nervous or we're Scared, right? And that little high makes us feel better temporarily, right? But it doesn't solve the underlying problem. I always say it's like putting a band aid on a bullet hole, right? So mm-hmm. mindless spending, I think, is one of the biggest um, ways that spending habits that we tend that tends to kind of hinder financial progress. I think scrolling, adding to cart, especially when it's the end of the day and we are depleted and we're just fried and done, right? The kids are in bed and we're just We need a second to just zone out. I think that's something that's really common. And, you know, maybe we just want something as an extra little, like, pick me up, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we get that package from Amazon, when it arrives at our house, it's likely that there's a high probability that we're going to wonder why we ever bought it in the first place and maybe have some guilt or shame about it. I I do this all the time. Maybe we're like never actually going to use the item. I can't tell you the number of things that I have in my closet that still has tags on it because I just had to have them at the time. But if I had maybe slowed down and thought about that purchase, thought about how it aligned with my intentions, and you just said, I have this goal of starting a business, right? How, how does this purchase align with that? Maybe we wouldn't have bought it. So I think, again, the key here is identifying those priorities, ident- identifying those values and your your underlying why and slowing down enough before we hit that, that buy now button, right, which is three clicks away on our phones and just seeing if they're checking in with ourselves, seeing what we're feeling, what are we going through right now, what's going on in our world and is there another kind of strategy or coping tool that we can use to help us in that moment. I am not saying by any means, don't go shopping. Shopping is a tool. It's just, I love shopping. <laughs> it's a tool. It's not, it's not the answer. It's just one yeah. possible tool. And yeah, I love it too. I love the experience of going into a store and never, not really knowing what you're going to find, right? There's something fun about that. So I budget for that. I literally have like a section within my, when I, when I think about my monthly pay and where it goes, I have a little like mental section that, okay, yeah, I can use that to go have fun because shopping is fun for me so essentially I
0: guess asking ourselves are we playing small by allowing a coping behavior that leverages our finances to distract us from our bigger goals and yeah. it, it, it could be whatever it could be it could be your and coping it depends you could be Ha- at a toxic workplace having an argument with your partner uh or right crisis in your family or going through emotional or mental si- situation and you found a coping mechanism Anything. by taking your dollars right and it yes. doesn't have to be shopping because a lot of people are like oh women shop too much but listen everybody shops too much it's, it's um, exactly it's, it exactly. Could it's be, not it just could be, women it could be shopping it could be Overspending and self care, where you're not even using the self care, it could be whatever it is that your money is going to, that is taking away from that big goal you have, and it's in a sense, in a in a way, you're you're playing small because you're letting this di- di- distraction limit your possibility of achieving your goal. So I guess that's a, that's going back to what you said earlier on about just that inner work, like pausing and assessing where you are right now. And what you want to achieve. And we're talking specifically with finances here. What do you want to achieve with your finances? And are your current behaviors aligned with what you want to achieve? And taking it a step further and saying, wait, now I I know that this is what I want to achieve, but why do I even want this thing, right? And just being able to connect all those dots can help you gain that clarity and determine, okay, this is where I've been playing small. This is what needs to change. This is where the adjustment needs to happen.
1: Yeah. And I always say it is never about the thing, the accomplishment, the shoes, the, whatever it is, the the job or whatever, whatever the thing is. It's never about the thing. It's about the feeling behind that thing. Mm -hmm. What does that feeling represent to us? And what is it? What is that feeling that we're looking for? Right. And we don't necessarily need to have that thing in order to have that feeling. But we think because we're cultured in our society to think that that thing, that item or that achievement or accomplishment is what we're looking for.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, so let's let's keep moving on with this, because I mean, there's a, a lot to unpack, right? Um We yeah. spend hours delving into this, but I, I think it's good conversation to have often um and good reflection to have often in terms of how we're playing small so that as we are just making progress in life, we're able to catch ourselves. Like I said, I find myself. Yeah even to this day in situations where I'm like, well, you really played it small there. Or somebody's telling me, well, do you know that you're playing it small here? And so one way that is discussed often, we certainly talked about it a lot on this podcast, is in the area of negotiate, negotiation and how women play small in negotiating. And the truth is that we do. <laughs> I've been oh, yeah. there. I've done it. <laughs> Many of you listening have been there. You've done it. And it's important to keep talking about this in the air of negotiation, whether it's in conversation, in relationships, in career, with your finances, giving yourself the power to negotiate, to get what you truly deserve, right? Uh, One of my friends who listens to the podcast uh, works in HR. And she told me that a a while back that something that she notices when she does interviews is that. A guy will come into the interview and she will look at his resume, doesn't have the qualifications, but he applied for the job anyway, because he could. And then when it comes to the salary conversation, let's say the salary is, I don't know, $50,000. he will be like, you know, I would like to get paid $75,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he'll say it with all confidence because he can. And women will come in, apply to the job, the resume, they'll be so overqualified. Overqualified oh, yeah. for this position. The salary is fifty thousand, and they'll be like, "Yeah, fifty thousand works for me."
1: Right, right. And she exactly. said, "No, girl,
0: you gotta ask for more. How, how much do you want?" So, please, I would love for you to share some some tips as to how we can better negotiate because it's always important for us to keep hearing this, and yeah. we don't have to negotiate like other genders. We don't have. We're not trying to be other than who we are. Who we who we identify as, but it's important for us to leverage our worth and our value to get what we deserve. Right,
1: right, yeah. There's so much there, and um, I really love this topic because it's again something that I think women tend to avoid. Right. So there's a book out there. It's amazing if you haven't read it. It's called Women Don't Ask by Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashevar. I recommend this to. Everybody in it, they say that twenty percent of adult women, so that's somewhere around twenty-two million people, say that they never negotiate at all. Even though I was they, one of those
0: girls, yes. my first job, yes, like, well, fifty-four thousand dollars. Like, yes, when do I start? <laughs> exactly. Yes, you're just I'm happy. <laughs> you're just happy to be here, right? Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for honoring me with this job. Forget that I'm qualified. Forget that I went to college for four
1: years and I have the skills. Forget
0: what I bring to the table. But thank you so much for the fifty-four thousand.
1: That was me. <laughs> yeah, same. I've I've done that in every single job that I've had. Right, I, like I just let them tell me what I'm worth. Right, and so yeah. I find this so this stat so interesting because twenty percent of adult women say they don't ever negotiate at all, even though they do recognize that negotiation is. Necessary or appropriate. Okay. So here's some other stats on this. So, by not negotiating a a first salary, an individual stands to lose more than $500,000 by age 60, right? And men are more than four times as likely as women to negotiate a first salary because Everything is sort of based off that first salary, right? What were you earning at this job? Last and then job, yeah. you take it from there, right? To what you think you're capable of. So here's some generalizations. So I want to caveat this conversation with that, but here's just some thoughts, right? So women... Ten, often tend to be less assertive, right? Women will agree to lower outcomes, like we just talked about, which widens the gender pay gap, not to mention keeps us in a shame cycle, I think. And I think this comes from two places it comes from how we were raised in our homes and the modeling that we saw as children, and it also comes from culture, so what we observed in the world around us. Women also tend to be more collaborative when it comes to negotiation. So wanting to find an approach that has a better solution for both sides, not just one, right? Women are more likely than men to listen to the needs and concerns of the other side to create a win-win situation there. But I also, to an extent, I see that as a good thing, right? Because it leads to creative solutions that might you know, not have been thought of before, maybe have been overlooked by maybe you know a man that may take a more aggressive or adversarial side of this and, and it also enhances long-term relationships, right? We don't burn as many bridges maybe as men who may be more focused on kind of the the short term and the short and the gain there, right? Women also have incredible relationship skills and intuition about what's going on with the people around them, which I think is a really Mm -hmm. incredible skill to have when you go into this process. So those are just some kind of thoughts in general around how women tend to be different than men when it comes to the negotiation process. But in terms of, you know, what are some tips and advice for women to kind of in better or to, to uh, improve this ability around salary negotiation? I think there's always something that we can learn. So I have a few thoughts around that as well. So. I first of all, I wouldn't suggest being more like men, right? I just said they can be more confrontational, they can be more um adversarial, aggressive, right? So when we try to be someone we're not, we know how that backfires, right? And there's such a double standard in our society, right? That we don't accept the same behavior from women that we do from men, as unfair and ridiculous yes, as that that's is. That's very true. But women
0: because women but, will but be something else,
1: but the yes exactly. <laughs> for doing the exact same behavior, right? But women, in my mind, women can and should ask for what they want. First of all, we need to know what that is, right? But we need to ask for what we want in a way that feels comfortable to us. If that's a gentler approach, maybe it's friendlier, more approachable, not aggressive, then then do you, right? Don't do somebody else, do you. I think the other piece to this is that we need to recognize as women, and this is a mindset shift, right? That most things in life are negotiable. We don't need to just accept things as the status quo and just let it be, right? Let, Let it settle. So- this is a mental hurdle that we need to overcome, that mindset shift that if we we don't have to accept things just the way they are. I mean, how many times, and I talked about this with a guest on my podcast, how many times do we just walk into a store and you know, maybe the salesperson just says, Oh, hey, we've got the the shoes in that back corner are 10% off. But do we ever ask and say, hey, do you have any deals on, you know, maybe the pants are on sale or maybe this the the jackets are on sale or something like that? We don't think to ask. Mm-hmm. And I've, t- I've thought about this from a different perspective too. Like when you stay at a hotel or when you go anywhere, I mean, right. If you, if you go, if you're just going to get a, your morning coffee, we just don't ask for things because we don't think that we can, we don't think, we no. just think we have to accept the status quo. Okay. So I think that's a really key piece to this as well. And again, I had mentioned before, we need to know Going into the negotiation process, we have to have a little bit more information. So we have to do our research. We have to put some thought yes. into this, so we know what the terms of the negotiation are. Right to so put some numbers to this, and I feel like when I go into a meeting, I never do that. Right, I never do it. I'm just like, oh, well, you should know, <laughs> even though I haven't told you, <laughs> you should know that I'm worth more. Right, and yeah. and I think then we go and we walk out of the meeting and we feel resentful and angry. Yeah. but we don't <laughs> communicate what we're really looking for here. Right. And, and so I think that's a big piece to this as well.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, that's true. And I've, I've personally been guilty of all those things when, you know, as I was <laughs> navigating my career and navigating a business and there's even times again, personally, like I've said multiple times playing a small run, like, you know, I could have negotiated that better. I could have asked for, for this better. And what helps me when I know I'm going to negotiating, is that I prepare. So you talk about doing your research. I think about what I want to say, how I want to say, it, making sure that I'm really getting what I feel is worth my time, worth my value, worth my experience, all of that. And in times where the negotiation is, it takes me by surprise, Right. Like for example, you and I can be on this call now and I say, Hey Belessa, so tell me how much is it gonna cost for us to do this or what's it gonna take for me to do this? And I'm like, you know what? I, I one thing I've gotten really good at doing is not negotiating on the spur of the moment because I haven't had time to do yes. research and I haven't had time mm-hmm. to prepare. So I always say, you know what, we can reschedule this conversation or I, I will email you. <laughs> I will email you. Yeah, absolutely. So I can gather myself together and not just blurt out something and be mad at myself because I didn't prepare, get resentful, wasn't what I wanted. And then the other thing that I've done is because I'm giving myself that time to prepare, is I I also adjust my language, especially in email and when I'm talking to you during a negotiation. So I just like you said, removing the word just, I was just wondering, I was not just wondering, mm-hmm. here is what I want. <laughs> I was hoping you would, be, I am not hoping for anything. You need to tell me XYZ. i am also never going to be sorry <laughs> mm-hmm. for asking. So I, I adjust my language and um, there are actually apps and I think there's a feature in Google Mail where I forget what it's called, but there's a feature in, Google, in Gmail. I don't know if it's in the paid version of Gmail only, but essentially, and there's other tools that will do this for you and you can do a Google search when you find yourself just using unnecessary words, when you type it, it'll underline it and say, no girl, delete that. I love that. I <laughs> didn't even know about that. Remote, That's awesome. that. Just it's, it's called, it's like a predictive text or there's a name for it. suggested text. There's something, there's a name for it. Google this and it'll come up, but I have it in my Gmail. And so when I type, I was just hoping it'll underline.
1: just hoping. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. It's like, it's like auto correct, but not Yes. For self, but for yes, like, like women, empowering women. I love it. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And so it, it's for everybody, but it's, 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 it's just a very good way to help you correct your language. So I do love all those tips that you shared because I've been guilty of doing those things. Yeah. Um, so Megan, it's not often that I have a CFP on the podcast. So I'm going to take advantage of this and we're going to talk about investing. Okay. <laughs> So you work with a lot of people specifically helping them create financial plans for themselves. Right. I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not a CFP. So I don't create investment plans for anybody. I just give guidance on the what is and the how tos. But you actually work with real people every day. And so Mm -hmm. you're definitely exposed to statistics around investing and women. Um, I know that the stats are out there that women are less inclined to invest than our male counterparts and less inclined to take financial risks in the market. Have you seen any themes or trends as to why this is the case with the real human beings that you work with?
1: Yeah, honestly, and I've, I have I've found this more in my conversations that I've had in the podcast than I have in my day job. Yes, in my day job, I have, I have all of the examples of what you just said, right? I see that in real, in real life, in real time. But I had a conversation on with, with a guest on my podcast and we were talking about the difference between how men and women think, especially when it comes to numbers and investing. And we view these, this concept very, very differently. Men are more wired for competition, right? So they want to win. They want to beat the they they want to, they're so focused on the numbers because they want to have outperform. The whatever it is, outperform the benchmark or outperform this quarter versus last quarter or this year than last year. And they want to see those numbers going up, right? Not that women don't like, we appreciate that. I'm, I know I see that myself, but women are wired differently. We want to know honestly what those numbers mean, like put it into normal people's terms. And how does this impact me? What does this mean for me in my long term? And how does it impact? the people that I care about? And am I going to be okay? Am I going to be safe? I think bottom line, those are just two different approaches. And I think that's one of the reasons why women tend to avoid this because we don't get a lot of, we don't have a lot of those conversations. I mean, again, the financial services industry has been typically (laughs) by men for men, right? And so I think things are starting to shift a lot and that's amazing. And we're trying to help talk to women on their terms. So we can sort of translate all these numbers and all this jargon into what does it mean? How does it impact me? And, and how does that, what, what, what are the long-term, what's the long-term goal here? How does this make me feel? So I think that's a piece to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would love for you to talk about just how we can take action knowing this information about we're investing less. We want to see the. We want to see what those numbers really mean in real in real terms. Like, what what does it actually mean? How can we then successfully build investment portfolios, build diversified portfolios, knowing that we're not chasing, we're not trying to win at a game. We're not trying to win. We're trying to build wealth, right? We're not looking at this as The the way men would look at it in terms of like winning at the numbers, you know, we're looking at it from a realistic perspective. How can we establish our portfolios to support the way we make decisions around investing and give us that confidence to be able to take calculated risks and be able to invest more, right, for our well-being and our futures?
1: Yeah, well, the confidence the confidence comes from knowledge, right? So first and foremost, we need to educate ourselves on what this is like. What, how does investing work? What is what is an ETF? What is a mutual fund? What does a diversified portfolio look like? What are what am I investing in? What are the different vehicles? What are the tax implications? Right? That feels like it can be overwhelming. Especially if you don't have the knowledge of it, right? And I say that it I, I, it rattles off my tongue because I've this is the language that I've been talking for seventeen years now. But <laughs> this is why I also encourage people to just talk, ask questions, especially women. Like it's okay to admit that you need some help. Like we didn't grow up learning this. There was no financial education in our schools growing up. Hopefully that is changing, but we need to first. Recognize that we're not alone. We're not taught to um, be naturally inclined to 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 like money and to want to do this, right? So give yourself a little bit of slack there. Practice some self-compassion and ask for help when you need it. I feel like for women, that's a really, really hard piece because we Don't like to admit that we can't do it all. I know that's a struggle for me. And asking for help, the physical act of asking for help can be really scary sometimes. So I just say, reach out to somebody, anybody. Start with Google and somebody you trust and start to just ask the basic questions. So there's that, right? but then to to your your other question i mean i think what we need to do is just basic invest investing kind of 101 is we we need to figure out what's the goal here mm-hmm. is the goal just to make money for the sake of making money maybe it is fine but if it's most often it's not, most often the goal is because you want some security in your in your long in your lifetime over the long term. Maybe you want to pay for your kids to go to school, to go to college. Maybe you want to take a vacation. Maybe you want to just know that you're going to be okay in retirement and that you can retire, right? So let's identify what that goal is first and then work backwards from there. Because the investment, the longer term allocation and the investment piece, I feel like is just some simple math to get us there. And and that's the, the hardest part is determining what that goal is. And then we can sort of back into how we do this from there, right? And start small. You don't have to have a million dollars of liquid assets to invest. I just actually downloaded pretty recently the, the Acorns app, have you heard of that? It's yeah, my mom it's, loves it's, that it's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's such a, I mean, it's a very, very small scale here we're talking about. But for me, I just, you know, cash flow is hard when you got two little kids and running around. And so all it does is it rounds up your your purchases okay. on your whatever your your um, debit card or your credit card, and you can select what the, what investment it goes into. And it helps you invest like micro, like in $5 chunks at a time. And I think that's a great way to practice on a small amount of money because there's not a ton of risk there. If I lose $5, I lose $5, but it's also a great way to begin to to learn um, how this all works. And also think about, Hey, that the, the implications of the stock market versus the bond market and what is the, you know, what's the right allocation for me and all of these things. And I think tools like that are just a a great resource to start, but there's so many other tools out there to help. I talk about mint.com is one too, that I talk about for kind of aggregating our, our info and our expenses. And I think of the important piece to this too is, is, for women to know how much you have to invest, you have available to invest, because we don't want to get ourselves caught in a situation where you know all of a sudden we are investing money, but then cash flow is tight and we need to pull from those equities when the market's down or whatever it is. So we want to be able to have a little bit of a buffer. So that that information and the knowledge around the the, the assets and the cash flow that I mentioned earlier is really crucial to this process as well.
0: Yeah, and over time, it certainly does add up those small amounts, you know, and mm-hmm. even if it's, it's not an incredibly great amount, that learning, that knowledge you gain. Yeah. Is and the one thing you said, start small. And just because you're starting small doesn't mean you're playing small,
1: right? Right, so, <laughs> right. absolutely. It's very different. Starting small is actually playing big. It's being brave. Yeah. It's doing it on on a smaller scale. I just talked about like negotiation practice going into a a, a store and saying, hey, can I get 10 percent off of this coffee today who is it who who is it going to impact right But it's like practicing very small things because it's building a muscle. It's getting us comfortable and it's giving us that knowledge and helping us to sort of set us up for the next thing.
0: yeah. so we talked about playing small with, spending we talked about playing small or spending achieving financial goals playing small with negotiation playing small with investing and tips to do things differently what other ways would you say women may play small and what advice would you give them so for someone who's listening to this who's like okay wow this is something to think about what other things you should be thinking about in terms of just playing small with her finances so that she can start to expand her mind around achieving big things
1: yeah. So I want to just this is something that I talk about a lot on my show and I I want people to know first of all and I, I alluded to this earlier that we are not taught to like money or to want money or to even be interested in managing money, right? Or to want to learn about it. We weren't we weren't taught this stuff in school. So we were taught to play it safe as women. We were taught to hold ourselves back and And we are actually praised as women for doing everything for everybody else versus actually kind of putting ourselves first, right? So as a result, that's what we do. We put ourselves last. We're on the bottom of the list there. So I think the first step to kind of moving through is is self-awareness, right? And knowing that this is kind of the culture that we live in. And I say this a lot. It wasn't until... 1974, then women, when women could have credit cards in their own name without having a, a man loan,
0: a mortgage, all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Right. And so that, I think about that all the time. Like my mom was a full fledged adult at that time. She was like 20 years old. And so I don't think we realize how much we sort of inherit from the generation ahead of us even though this was never discussed, money was never discussed in my house. And so, but it's like I I just absorbed her kind of mindset and behaviors when it comes to money and, and the things that she said. And she had a very scarcity mindset, right? And so what I want to recognize is that yes, we have come a long, long way in our society since 1974. However, in 2023, we are still seeing a lot of that, right? We're still seeing nope. memes out there reflecting that um, women have to hide their Amazon boxes from their husband <laughs> or when they come, right? Or leave things in the car or because, and I do that all the time. I will go shopping and leave stuff in the car and don't bring it in. And it's like, why? I make more money than my husband does and he doesn't care what I'm spending my money on, frankly, but I do. So these things are so ingrained in us. And I've, I've realized that we're just perpetuating this cycle right when we see these memes out there on instagram and on social media that are just that are women trying to hide things from hide their spending that maybe they feel i think if we're trying to hide anything it's because we feel shame and we feel guilt about it so we need to dig into that a little bit more but once you see this once you see that this is so prevalent still in our culture you kind of can't unsee it so i think this is still another way that that women continue to perpetuate that that staying small right we need to own it there's nothing yeah. wrong with spending our money right and so we need to this all i think goes back to that that we have with money and why we're spending in the first place, right? And goes back to the intention piece. And the other thing that I want to say to this again is not only do we have to have the self-awareness and we need to get curious, we need to, we also need to practice massive amounts of self-compassion. And there's I had I had on my show Dr. Kristen Neff, who is the pioneer in self-compassion research. She's amazing. She talks about three pieces to self-compassion: kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. And the piece of that 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 is the biggest for me is the common humanity and knowing that we are not alone in this. And all women, men do. I mean, it's it's a I think a human it's human nature to to spend money when we're emotional. It's human nature to make mistakes when it comes to money, right? We're not perfect. We're not robots. So if we can just recognize that we are not alone in this and that everyone else is going through this as well, that's really, really huge to kind of counteracting the societal messages and and the ways that we play small. I love that. I
0: love that. This has been so good. I need an affirmation card that says I will not play small in my life.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. On my phone. Thank
0: you so much for being here to share. I asked everybody this question. So before I let you go, please tell us what is your clever girl superpower?
1: Oh, I embrace my emotions. So I think think emotions are super super superpower because they always lead us to what we need to know to what we pay attention to to what, what we need to pay attention to which is hard right because we're we're busy women right we're running around it's so hard to slow down sometimes and focus our attention on our emotions but they're important and we also get these cultural messages that we shouldn't be emotional but yeah suppress i think the, suppress the emotions <laughs> suppress the emotions right go cry in the bathroom at work when you're you know having a tough day but don't let anybody see it Right. Yeah. So I think if we can, if we can embrace those emotions more, I think all spending is emotional. I think it's, it's all, it's so personal how we earn money, how we spend our money. It's also personal. So once we recognize that, then, then, you know, that's more power to us. So that's my superpower. I'm very in tune with my emotions.
0: I love that. That is, that is something that we all need to do. I need to do that more. I mean, I'm in tune my emotions, but like it's more inward than it is outward. And it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to, to feel your feelings when you want to feel them.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're taught not to, but I, I think I want to turn that on its head. I think that's so backwards.
0: Yeah. And even when you feel your emotions, it helps you. It helps you heal through situations. It helps you process. It helps you learn. It helps you, you know, like it just helps you be a better you if you're channeling, channeling the energy in the right way. Yeah, Um, exactly. Please tell everyone where they can find you about your podcast and all of that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so thank you. The podcast is called Money Isn't Scary. You can listen to that anywhere you get your podcast. You can also check out my website, which is moneyisnscary.com. There's a really cool freebie I have on there, the five things all all women need to know about money. And you can also find me on social media. I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook, just at money Isn't Scary. So come join.
0: Yes, and we'll have all of that in the show notes.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Megan. This has been so good. Thank you. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.